Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the richness of your word. We open our hearts to you today to learn. Holy Spirit, you are a teacher. Come and teach us and come and transform us with regards to our identity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. While we're continuing our series on identity rehab, and I trust that you're enjoying it. And what I want to do is I really want to encourage everyone who's listening to this to share it with other people. Talk to other people about it via Zoom, via Skype, whatever you use. Uh, run Bible studies around this. Whenever we teach the gospel, we end up growing in the gospel in terms of retention. When we just listen, very often a lot of what's taught is lost. And let's trust God that we can pass on this. This is good news. I was thinking about the concept of good news recently. And I was just reminded that, you know, if you find a cure for cancer, for example, or for uh, this coronavirus, this COVID-19, right? You will go around and you will tell everyone you know, if you're a decent human being, right? Um, hey guys, I found the cure. I found the cure. Now we found the cure for sin. We found the cure. We found the cure for life, right? And we need to be sharing it with other people. So I encourage you to do so. Now, we're talking about decoupling pseudo-identities, okay? There are pseudo-identities out there. We don't just decide, oh, this is the identity I want, all right? Very often we learn an identity by default. We learn about identity and we embrace it by default, right? Very often not by design. So we embrace certain identities based on our upbringing, for example, based on our culture. That's your values, your norms, and your beliefs, right? Remember your personality is formed in those first 10 years of your life. And very often you pick up on certain things based on how you were raised, right? Um, we get our identity from our education, right? We begin to embrace certain value systems taught to us, whether it's by professors, teachers, or parents. We begin to learn very quickly, this is what's valued in life, and this is what you must pursue, all right? We also get an identity based on our experiences, our experiences in life, right? So if you've been discriminated against, oppressed, and you've been told, you're not allowed to study this subject, you're not allowed to be in this profession, what happens? Traits due to victimization. I remember when we were growing up, a lot of people would want to be certain professions. You'd say, why do you want to be this? And they'll say, I want to be the first black person to do this or the first black female to do that. All right. And you'd ask yourself the question, do you really want to pursue this or are you doing it because you're searching for significance? Because your parents weren't allowed to do it. Now you want to do it. But are you actually called to that? So sometimes because of negative experiences, we begin to form our identity. Sometimes because of positive experiences, we form an identity. I had this good experience, so this is what I want to become in my life, okay? And very often our identity is also formed by how we interpret events, how we interpret events. So you can have two people who go through the same bad experience and one of them becomes bitter, the other one becomes better. One of them um, sees it as a tragedy. The other one turns the tragedy into a triumph. One of them sees themselves as a mess. The other one turns the mess into a message. So people are different. And based on how we interpret specific events that take place in our lives, we find that an identity comes forth from that. Okay. So why do we need to decouple 
ourselves from these pseudo identities. You see, there's a war. There's a war against your true identity in Christ Jesus. There's a war against that true identity. The enemy knows that once you know who you are in Christ, there's certain things you will do differently. There's certain things you will never do, right? But if you're in a situation where you're unaware of this, you'll find that the pseudo identities will creep in by default and they end up determining your course, in a course of life, your destiny, all right? So to decouple, uh, some of you who are engineers will be familiar with terms like this, but to decouple really means to separate, to disengage or dissociate something from something else. All right. And so it's a term I'm using in this context to say we have to separate ourselves from the pseudo identities. So we come to a place of knowing who we really are. So as we aim to embrace our recreated selves in Christ Jesus, we all need to go through a decoupling process. For some of you, it's just decoupling uh, from one pseudo-identity. For others of you, it might be multiple pseudo-identities, all right? Um, and I believe that when we empty ourselves from these pseudo-identities, we begin to walk conformed to the image of Christ. And I think it's so powerful. So, Today, I want to focus specifically on the hero achiever. I've called it the hero achiever, okay? This is a pseudo-identity that many people are bound by. And it's so subtle. It's so, so subtle because very often it's celebrated. And the way the hero achiever identity is often formed, it's how we are raised. A lot of families experience dysfunction. Okay, a lot of families, most families have some degree of dysfunctional behavior. And what tends to happen is in a family where there's dysfunction, very often there's the blue eyed boy or the blue eyed girl. There's the performer. There's the one who's naturally talented, very gifted. And the way they react to the dysfunction in their family, they escape into performance. Sadly, they become the self image of their family. So in other words, the family still thinks it's great because of this achiever. So you'll find that even though there's so much dysfunction, so much chaos happening in the home, there's always talk of, hey, but did you see her results? Hey, did you see how well he did in sport? Whatever the achiever tends to focus on becomes the self-image of the family. Now, here's what's so sad. Very subtly over the years, that hero achiever learns very quickly that in order to be accepted in this life, I have to perform. As long as I'm performing, I'll be accepted and I'll be praised. They don't understand unconditional love. And it becomes very difficult for them when it comes to being born again to understand that God loves them unconditionally, that they're saved by grace, not by their works, that they're saved by grace through faith. It becomes a block in terms of that because they're like, wait a minute, all these years in my life, I've learned that you have to perform in order to be accepted, all right? So let me share with you a few things about this, this hero. They're often difficult to actually minister to because very often they're not in touch with their emotions, okay? They become numb to their emotions because it's all about performance. Now, you might say to me, but Paul, you know what? Uh, surely that's a good thing, you know? The sad thing is often these hero achievers, you'll hear stories where, oh, this person 
quit their career. They'd built up a wonderful business, but they actually had a midlife crisis. Oh, this individual, they just broke down. They had a nervous breakdown when they turned 40. You see, there's nothing wrong with achieving, but it's important that we achieve from a place of worth in Christ, as opposed to, I have to perform and achieve to gain a sense of worth. Can you see the difference? You achieve based on your sense of worth in Christ. I'm worth so much in Christ. I'm loved by God. And as an overflow of that realization, I do great things, but it's with his divine energy at work in me, right? I can't do it in my own strength. The achiever is a bit different. Now, let me describe to you elements of the hero, this hero achiever. And I'm just going to call it just for the sake of um, time. I'm just going to say hero. Okay. But we're really talking about someone with an achiever syndrome and a hero syndrome. The hero believes that they have to be strong all the time. The hero's identity is formed as a result of getting worth and acceptance from performance. The hero becomes the source of a positive image for the family. The hero feels a deep sense of shame around failure. They struggle when it comes to failing. You say to them, hey, but it's, it's fine. You know, we all fail to succeed at things. You have to fail a few times, but they struggle with that. They're ashamed of it. They struggle to talk about their weaknesses because their identity is in their strength. Okay. So the hero feels a deep sense of shame around failure. The hero is often blind to his or her weaknesses as they look good on the outside and are constantly celebrated by the world around them and they have exceptional strengths. And those strengths have worked for them, right? So they're like, come on, why do I have to be weak? My strengths have worked. That's why I got a promotion. That's why I got all the attention from the guys or from the girls, right? That's why I married this uh, trophy wife or trophy husband. All right. So it's worked for them. So when you come and you say your works are like dung, your works are like filthy rags compared to the surpassing greatness of the knowledge of the son of God. When you say those kinds of things, sometimes they believe you mentally, but they struggle to receive it in their hearts. Okay. The hero often struggles to relate healthily to others from an equal power basis. In other words, they see themselves as superior because they're like, why should I respect you if you're not that good at what you do? Because it's all about performance for them. Okay. And so they have to learn humility in terms of that. All right. The hero can often experience a deep sense of crowded loneliness. You know, those people who say I was very popular, yet I felt so lonely. Right. Yes, I became famous, but I felt so lonely. Yes, I got so much attention from the media, but inside there was no connection because they struggle to connect at a deep emotional level with people. Because remember, very often as they were growing up, they buried themselves into performance. Right. And were in denial about some of the pain that they were actually experiencing right, in their families, in their lives. All right. Um, the hero often experiences a nervous breakdown or life crisis that causes him or her to face certain realities. All right. The hero will often enable others to become dependent on them. Remember, heroes often become codependent with victims. You see, a hero needs a victim to rescue. Right. In order to be a hero, a hero needs people who are there saying, wow, you're amazing. I'll never be able to do that. 
All right. And that's why very often if a hero, a hero achiever, someone with that syndrome gets married to someone who isn't really a victim, who doesn't need to be rescued. Often they have challenges in the marriage because it's like, wait a minute. I thought everyone admired me. I believed my own press. I thought I was this amazing person. But now you're pointing out my faults. I don't know how to relate to people, right, outside of being their hero, all right? And by the way, let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with being a hero in the true sense, okay? A hero is someone we both admire and adore. And there are many heroes out there. But here's the thing. If you study heroic leadership, a lot of these people, they, their goal wasn't to be a hero. They weren't trying to be a hero. Their goal was to serve. The problem with the hero achiever is there's this belief, and I call it a misbelief, that if I accomplish greatness, then I'll be accepted. Then I'll be significant. Then I'll be a someone. And that's very unhealthy because in Christ, that's where our significance is. And let me also highlight this, that if you've got this hero achiever syndrome or pseudo identity, it doesn't mean you're a corporate person in the corporate world necessarily. Okay. You have some super moms, right? Who have the hero achiever pseudo identity. You have some sports people, right? So don't stereotype this uh, syndrome or the pseudo identity to just one type of person who power dresses, all is in a suit, working endless hours. Okay. It could be a super mom. It could be a super dad. It could be a sports person, right? The hero is often a workhorse. I like what Les Perrault says. Um, for workhorses, happiness is a mirage that recedes the closer they get to the goal. Happiness is a mirage that recedes the closer they get to their goal. Okay, so it's this thing, this thing that you can never attain. You can never attain it because there's always something else you want. There's always the next project because you see all these things we achieve never fill us. It's only Christ who can fill us. It's only Christ who can heal us in the realm of our identity. You know, you have a breakthrough and your bank balance is now at a certain level, right? Ten years ago, you would have been so excited about it, but you're not excited, right? You need the gift of contentment. We'll talk about that just now, okay? So the hero will often enable others to become dependent on them, right? And this is quite sad because people should be pointed to Christ, not to the hero. The hero will often boast about their achievements and want all the credit for themselves. And this ends up affecting the relationship they have with other people, especially people in their team who feel like, man, we did it together. It wasn't just you. But you see that hero achiever needs that recognition because deep inside their self-esteem is actually very low. They've got low self-esteem. We don't think so because we look on the outside and we admire them. We're like, man, you're amazing. You're so perfect. Why are you so insecure? Why are you so driven? Right? And they're looking for that validation from the outside. The hero is hard on himself and often hard on others. They're very self-critical, tough on themselves. And because of that, that's how they end up treating other people. The hero tends not to address their deep character flaws, okay? And this is largely because they believe their own press with regards to their greatness, okay, in other areas. And they're Bible examples of this. For example, King Saul, right? You, he didn't embrace his own weaknesses. He wasn't like David, 
You know, David made his fair share of mistakes, but David's mindset was basically, Lord, search my heart and see if there's any wickedness within me. If you study the life of King Saul, he was admired. He was a hero, you know, but he would often blame other people, make excuses, you know, for the situations that he would find himself in, even though he was actually disobedient to the Lord. So again, watch out for that. Samson is another example of that. Okay, you can see that he's this amazing hero type of figure, but he had deep character flaws that he never addressed. Why? Because he would always base his measurement of himself on his successes. All right. On his great strengths. Watch out for that. Okay. Now, true heroes do not set out to be heroes in the first place. And I've mentioned that. And this is very important to understand. They don't set out to be heroes in the first place. Their main goal is to serve. And then in the process, they become people who we both admire and people who we adore. And I think that's awesome, right? There's also the extreme version of the hero syndrome. And this isn't really uh, something that we'll look at and say, oh, this person has got a psychological problem, but it's very close, all right? And um, it's, it's a hero syndrome. It's a type of hero syndrome, right? And it's a phenomenon affecting people who seek heroism or recognition, usually by creating a situation which they know that they can resolve. So, for example, even in the case of arson, you find some people will literally go and uh, start a fire that they know that they can become the hero around because they end up putting the fire out. Okay, it's very subtle. You see this in the workplace quite a bit where some people leave everything till the last minute and there's a lot of chaos, but they rescue it last minute. Okay, and it's very subtle. But when you ask certain people more than two questions deep, why did you do that particular thing? They'll actually say to you, you know what, I actually know I can solve it and I enjoy it when I step in and I rescue the damsel in distress, right? Um, you find that happening quite a bit, okay? The hero achiever doesn't always manifest in the same way. So as you're listening to this, just remember, you can be a super mom, you can be a super wife. You can be a corporate leader. You can be an entrepreneur and actually struggle with this pseudo identity. Key question, why are you doing what you're doing? What's driving it? Is it based on the overflow of the love of Christ in your life? Or is it driven by something else? Watch out for it. It will always compete. It will always compete with your true identity in Christ. Okay, so... Let's look at scripture and let's unpack what the Bible says to those who have this particular pseudo identity. Just be washed by the word of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the word of God says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Okay, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And you remember, this is when God was wanting to point out that David is the guy. David is going to be the future king. But even Samuel, this great prophet, was looking on the outside. And this is the problem many of us have. Many of us almost envy some of these hero achievers, maybe because of their good looks or their external achievements. 
But just remember, there's a way that God promotes. Some of you feel discouraged in your life because you feel, I don't have that talent. I don't have those looks. I don't have that particular skill. But that doesn't stop God from promoting you. Remember, the Bible tells us that promotion is from above. I'm the Lord. I'm the one who raises up one and puts down another. You cannot demote that which God has promoted. I'd rather God is my promoter than man. Okay, so this is a very important principle. Do not consider his appearance or his height. Many people consider some of these things too much, far too much. <clears throat> Remember that a lot of people that are hero achievers actually have low self-esteem. They seem confident on the outside, but their self-acceptance, their sense of self-acceptance is very low. They haven't fully accepted themselves. You see, when you're strong on self-acceptance, you're like, you know what, guys, this is me, warts and all take it or leave it. And it's easy to connect with people, much easier connecting with people who've accepted themselves. People who feel like they have to always perform in order to be accepted. When they relate with other people, then very often, very often they're not authentic. All right. They're not authentic. And it actually blocks true intimacy with that particular individual. All right. <clears throat> What's so sad for the hero achiever is that at some point, they developed this debilitating belief system that says, to be accepted in life, I need to achieve. To be accepted in life, I need to achieve. And because achieving greatness has brought money, it's brought financial stability, they justify it. And they're like, well, look at the good stuff that has come from it, right? Um, but what is driving the behavior, right? The Bible tells us that you are complete in Christ. Jesus and I, just the two of us, that's enough. I don't need to add anything else to it, right? Unfortunately for the hero achiever, they never seem to attain this goal. They never seem to attain this goal. The more they get, the more they want. And it ends up putting a lot of pressure, not just on them, but on their families. Very often the hero will project that onto their children hey, I'm an achiever and I'm so driven and I'm not satisfied with myself until I attain all these wonderful goals. So you as my child are an extension of me. So you have to do exactly the same things, right? Whatever I've made an idol becomes my children's idol also, right? Can you see the pressure? And we pass these things on to the next generation. Ladies and gentlemen, children need to know that they're loved unconditionally, that they are wonderful. They're accepted by God just as they are just as they are. And that's why when we praise them, we praise them for things like, hey, well done for that hard work. Well done for this. Well done for that. Not for how naturally gifted they are, right? No, because that's God. That's God's work that he's done. You praise a child when they put in effort. You praise a child when they're consistent. You praise a child for their hard work, for their teamwork, right? Those types of things, right? Otherwise, we just pass on the hero syndrome, to the next generation. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, it says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Was Paul a hard worker? Yes, he was. Am I a hard worker? Yes, I am. But people ask me, Paul, how do you do all the stuff you do? 
you know what? I better not be doing it in my own strength. I better be working with God's strength at work in me. And that's where you can do a lot and you can just keep going, keep going, keep going. If you're doing what you're called to do, if you're doing work where there's flow, what you're anointed to do, what comes easily to you, as opposed to I'm now comparing myself with someone else and I'm trying to be them. God doesn't anoint you to be someone else. The anointing, divine resources are for you to be who he's wired you to be. And that's what the life of Paul the Apostle was like. He spoke about the energy that Christ works so powerfully in him. In 1 Corinthians 15 um, verse 10, it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Can you see a mind shift there? When our identity is in Christ Jesus, we are diligent, we are hardworking, we achieve greatness. But can you see that in this phrase, in these two sentences, Look how many times he talks about God's grace. Three times he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Whatever you've achieved, will you willingly say out publicly that it's by God's grace that you are what you are? Or do you take the credit for it and say, please worship me people because it's all about me and let me show you my tricks and my skills. Okay, And then he goes on to say, and his grace to me was not without effect. You see, it's possible for God to extend his grace to you and then his grace is with, uh, without effect. Okay, But Paul here says, God's divine enablement, God's unmerited favor over my life was not without effect. You see, I want it to be effectual. I want God's grace on my life to be effectual. right? And then he says, no, I worked harder than all of them. Surely he's talking about performance. Surely he's talking about striving. But look how he's talking about it. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. How do we achieve greatness in this life? How do we become true heroes in this life? How do we do it? We tap into our identity in Christ, which is one with his grace. We allow his grace to flow through us, his divine enablement to work through us, to energize us. And it only does that when we're aligned to his purpose and we're walking in his will. That's when we'll be able to do that. Otherwise, you will work hard and you will toil, but in the wrong direction. And that's the difference between someone with the pseudo identity and someone who's what I call a contented achiever, a contented achiever. God will empower you and energize you to do his will. When we pursue other things, then we run on empty. When we pursue other things that are not in line with his will, that's when we end up running on empty. Being in God's will and having Christ's attitude is the best thing for your health. Are you in God's will? Yes, that's great. That's wonderful, right? Do you have Christ's attitude while you're doing God's will? That's awesome. It's great for a healthy body, healthy person, all right? There are a lot of people who are doing God's will, but outside of Christ's attitude, very dangerous. In Mark chapter 8, verses 36 to 38, powerful, it says here, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me 
and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and the holy, uh, with the holy angels. This is so important. Very often you'll find that the person with this syndrome, this hero achiever, they will tend to pursue the world. They'll tend to pursue mammon, right? Very often as an alternative to following Jesus. Watch out for that because in the process, ladies and gentlemen, you can forfeit your soul. You can forfeit your soul. And I believe when we're speaking about the soul, we're talking about forfeiting someone's salvation. Okay. You end up in a situation where literally, 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 you can end up rejecting Christ in the process because of the idol that you're pursuing. Remember what Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters, right? You'll either love the one and hate the, or hate the other and hate the other, right? You cannot serve two masters. Make the decision today. Make sure the love for the world and the world's standards, the world's values is not in your heart, right? Uh, embrace your identity in Christ. So, so important, right? Um, let's, let's, let's move on to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll look at verses 9 to 10, right? Verses 9 to 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. The hero achiever struggles to embrace weakness, struggles to talk about their weakness because their identity is in their performance. And yet look what Paul says. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you want to experience the power of God? The power of God is made perfect in your life when you walk in brokenness when you embrace weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Christ's power cannot rest on you if you want your own power and your own strength and your own talent to be what's resting on you. You see, you can't rely on both. It's either or. It's either or, right? He says, I will, boastly, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. You see, there are many Christians today who are messing up their lives and getting derailed because they can't handle persecution because they can't handle rejection. So if you, if you trace how they make decisions in their lives, it's what will make me most popular? What will make me most liked by people? As opposed to, you know what? Even if I'm persecuted for doing what's right, I will actually rejoice in my persecution. I will actually delight in my rejections. Why? Because I want the power of God. I want the grace of God to rest on me. I cannot have both. And the sad thing is many hero achievers have never made that decision. They've confronted it from time to time, but they've never made that choice that, you know what, Lord, I'm going to let go of all the accolades so that your power rests on my life. I'm going to embrace weakness. I'm going to be able to actually say to people, you know what, guys, these are my strengths. This is how I've been gifted. But when it comes to this, I'm not actually that good at it. And it's okay because my identity is not in my perfection. This is so, so important. There's no shame around weakness. 
you see. So the hero struggles to talk about their weaknesses. Their identity is in their strengths and in their achievements and not in Christ. Sadly, so many believers still have unrenewed minds with regards to this. So <clears throat> let's have a look at Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read from verse 1 to 11 because this is the example of Christ. Because Christ shows us and role models to us how we should walk in meekness. Okay, meekness is strength under control. Where you're saying, I've got these strengths. I'm gifted. I'm talented. I've got this authority. But I'm choosing today to actually empty myself, myself from these things, off these things, uh, and embrace Christ. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, so we get encouragement from in our unity with Christ, if any comfort from his love, so we get comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had. Now, let's, let's stop there for a while, all right? When it's talking about how we must have the same attitude of meekness that Christ had, it says, in your relationships. You see, it's easy to be humble when you're by yourself up on a mountain or when you're in your prayer closet, just you and the Lord. Your humility is seen. Your meekness is seen in your relationships. It's when you're confronted with a brother or a sister who views things differently, who might look down on you, right? When you're out there in the marketplace, that's when you're confronted with this thing called humility. And I find it amazing when you actually unpack some of these scriptures and you see what they actually mean. The Bible says, do nothing from a place of vain conceit. That's a very powerful word, vain conceit. That's talking about vain glory. That's talking about measuring yourself more highly than you ought. It's a powerful word that we'll unpack just now. So we see Christ as an example of all of this. And I'm telling you right now, the reason there's so much conflict sometimes in the body of Christ, the reason there's so much division and envy and unhealthy competitiveness is because of this hero achiever mindset that many people have as a pseudo identity. Let's unpack this a little bit. It's talking about Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let's look at verse six. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some translations say something to be grasped. Okay, so that was this level, level one of emptying himself. This is called the kenosis of Christ. Okay, kenosis is the Greek word talking about the divine self-emptying of the son of God. Right. Was he still God? Yes, he was but he didn't use all the advantages of being God in the incarnation, right? He was a man who operated under the anointing, right? That's how he did all those miracles. He wasn't doing them as God. He was doing them as a man under the anointing, right? Um, and he needed to be anointed to do those things. That's why he wasn't doing any miracles before the Holy Spirit came upon him uh, when he, uh, just after he was baptized. Now watch this. It says, who, by, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, right? 
Rather, he made himself nothing. Right? Didn't say someone made him nothing. He made himself nothing. Right? And this is so important. If you have that hero achiever um, pseudo identity, make yourself nothing. Right? Are you still talented? Are you still gifted? Yes, you are. But you're saying, you know what? I'm viewing all these things as dung in comparison to this surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So Jesus redeemed servanthood. Okay, that word doulos, literally a slave. He made himself a slave. You know, other people are forced into slavery. Jesus made himself a slave, right? He did it. Being made in human likeness. That's another level of lowering himself. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man. That's why he, he was the one who gave himself that label, the son of man, the son of man. Other people didn't give him that. Other people didn't point at him and say, hey, you, son of man. He's the one who said, I'm son of man, son of man. This is the kenosis. This is the divine self-emptying of the son of God, right? Um, so, so important. Uh, when you look at this slave nature, this servant nature, do you know what it shows us? It shows us that it's part of being Christ-like. He redeemed servanthood. So part of being Christ-like, part of the born-again spirit, in the same way that we say he hasn't given you a spirit of timidity in your new identity as a new creation, right? He hasn't given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You could also add there, part of the born-again spirit is this self-emptying, this meekness, a meek spirit, okay? It's this um, servant nature. He redeemed servanthood. I think it's so important, okay? And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. That's another level of lowering himself. Even death on a cross, even another level. And we can really unpack that and talk about the death on a cross, okay? That was the most cruel form of being put to death at the time. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. So do I want to be a hero? Of course I want to be. Jesus says that if any of you wants to be first, let him be least. So Jesus was literally unpacking this kenosis, kenosis, right? Jesus was literally teaching on that, saying, if you want to be great, he doesn't say you mustn't desire greatness. He says, if you want to be great, here's the key. And we see that in Matthew 20. Here's the key. This is how you must live. Humble yourself. Make yourself nothing. And then allow God to raise you up. Right? Then you can be a true hero. Not one who's raised themselves up, but one who God has raised up. And that's why it's so sad when people talk about being a self-made man. I did it all on my own. Even Jesus was raised up by Father God. Isn't that so powerful? Okay? So it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name. Names are conferred. Names are conferred. Gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This process is a picture of what we should all go through. It's a picture of humbling ourselves in order to be raised up by God. So from this passage of scripture, the kenosis of Christ, we learn a number of things. Firstly, we learn that selfish ambition is seeking of followers and adherents um, by means of gifts, 
all right? There's nothing wrong with being ambitious, but there's a problem with selfish ambition, right? It's linked to words like rivalry or self-seeking, right? Where you form a feud, where you have a feud, where you form a faction, right? Dissension, it's that kind of thing. And the scripture here tells us that that should not be a part of our new identity in Christ. As believers, as we're working together, no selfish ambition, right? When someone succeeds, we glory in their success. We say, well done. We rejoice as they're rejoicing. That word conceit that is used in this passage, it's also sometimes translated as vain glory, vain glory, right? A very powerful word. It's, it's the Greek word kenodoxia. Doxia, we know, is glory. Keno is empty. So it's empty glory, okay? Worthless boasting, empty boasting. It's where people boast about meaning, meaningless things. And we see it happening a lot, right? Vain glory, where people are like, yeah, I'm the man. Why are you the man? Because I can beat all of you up. Is heaven applauding? No, heaven isn't applauding. But we glory in these things. That's vain glory, empty boasting. Are you boasting about worthless things? And you see it happening a lot. I did this. I achieved this. We like this, especially when we talk about our success, especially when we were at school. Hey, do you know what? I was this and I was awarded that. But heaven isn't applauding because very often it's things that have got no eternal value. Right? Watch out for that vainglory and conceit. Um, and it's so sad because we idolize people based on some of these standards that are worthless when it comes to uh, the kingdom assessment. Okay. Uh, we also see that the scripture here, when you unpack it, we, we see a powerful principle um, that if we are to live in peace with each other, there must be no selfish ambition, which is very important. We see how Jesus modeled meekness, which is really strength under control. And we see that the kingdom pattern to greatness is through self-emptying. In Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13, we see how Paul the Apostle went through this process. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. That's the gift of contentment. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You see, we like to quote the scripture a lot. I can do all things through, through him who gives me strength. But when you look at the context of that statement, right, there's the context of a great prayer life. Yes. But there's also the context of I can cope in any circumstance because of the strength of Christ in me. In other words, there's no shame when I'm struggling a bit in life, when I'm rejected by people, but you find that the hero achiever, because their identity is just in, hey, this is how I am. I'm always walking in abundance, right? Because their identity is in that, they can't really apply this scripture, right? Because they're not coping when they are in lack, they can't survive, because they can't say that scripture, Christ is enough for me, right? Because their identity is in something else or in someone else. It's interesting because that word content there, it's a powerful Greek word, otakis, okay, which literally means to be self-sufficient, to be self-sufficient, very powerful word, comes from two words, auto, which speaks of 
self or by yourself, right? That's where we get automatic from, right? And then archaeo, which speaks of sufficing or being satisfied, right? So satisfied by yourself, right? Sufficient by yourself. So someone who says, I am content, right? In the true meaning of this word, it's someone who's really saying, you know what, guys, I'm okay. I can survive. I'm fine. I remember a friend when he turned 40 a number of years ago, about seven or so years ago, I remember him saying, Paul, one of the things God gave me when I turned 40 was the gift of contentment. He'd always been striving, you know, it, 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 he was never satisfied. He says, God gave me the gift of contentment. I got so many wonderful presents and so on, but the greatest was the gift of contentment. I'm content. I'm content. Auto, by myself, archaeo sufficient. It's fine. As long as I've got Jesus, I'm fine. I'm good. All right. Some of you are not content until you have the boss validating you. Some of you are not content until you win that award or that prize. Some of you are not content until your bank balance is has got certain figures and then you're content. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. I can still feel confident regardless of my bank balance. Christ is enough for me. Ask God for the gift of contentment. The contented achiever is someone who performs from a place of worthiness as opposed to someone who has to perform in order to feel worthy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 12, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Very powerful. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People need to learn this. This is part of biblical Christianity. It goes on to say, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Be careful. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, so it depends who you want to be. Do you want to be that man of God? Do you want to be that woman of God? Then be careful about the love of money. Be careful. Money should always have its rightful place in your life because some of them have ended up, some of these people who've eagerly been trying to pursue money as an end in itself. Money should always be an, a means to an end, not an end in itself, right? If you're pursuing money because of the pseudo identity, be very careful. I'm warning you, be very careful. If you know how you're wired that you love money, be very careful. This is a warning. It says, but you man of God, flee from all of this, flee from what? The love of money. And it says, and pursue righteousness. I want to challenge you, business people out there listening to this, right? Pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue endurance, and pursue gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is so important. This is so, so powerful. If you're ambitious, 
let your zeal be for the things that have eternal value. You see, Paul was a hero who had to let go of the trappings of his former achievements. And that's why in Philippians 3 verses 7 through to 8, um, he said, But whatever was gained to me, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. All those things that were gained to him, all those things that he achieved as a Pharisee that, you know, got him all sorts of accolades, okay, where he was blameless. He's saying, I see them as a loss. He says more than that in verse 8, more than that, I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have lost all things, all things, not some, but all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. We will only gain Christ when we start considering certain things as rubbish. This is a very radical statement I'm making. But you will only gain Christ when you consider all other things as rubbish in comparison to the surpassing greatness of the knowledge of the Son of God. We need to create a culture that celebrates the right things. Because I'm seeing in many churches today, and this thing infiltrates us, even in the church, where we begin to celebrate all sorts of achievements, right? And unfortunately, we don't count them as loss in comparison to knowing Christ. We need to celebrate the right things. In 1 Corinthians 1 verses 27 to 29 says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So why are we trying to be so wise? Why are we trying to be so strong if God didn't choose the wise things? If God didn't choose the strong things? It says he chose the lowly and despised things of the world and the things that are not. Why? To nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in his presence. Some translations will say so that no flesh may glory in his presence. This is the emptying that we need to go through. So what does every hero achiever need to know? There are a number of things the hero achiever needs to know. And this is what I want to say to you. Know that you're accepted by God because of Christ's finished work at Calvary. Know that God is not impressed with your performance because he is the one who actually gifted you in the first place. So why would he be so impressed? Thirdly, know that God will never be disillusioned about you if you fail, all right? Because he was never illusioned in the first place, all right? He's not going to be disillusioned. Oh, you've messed up. He's not surprised. He knows your weaknesses better than you know them. Know that your relationships are more important than your achievements. This is so important. Your relationships are more important than your achievements. Just meditate on this. Meditate on this. Because sometimes we sacrifice those good relationships God has given us because we just need to achieve, achieve, achieve. And we think they'll praise us and admire us because of that. You know what happens to many women? They're attracted to a guy because of his great achievements. Then they get married to that guy. And the very thing that they were attracted to is the thing they now hate the most. Because that's the thing that has taken that guy away from the family, right? She's saying, I just want you home. I just want you connecting with me. Yes, I was drawn to your achievement and your gifting and your greatness. But now it's the thing that's the worst in my life. It's the worst thing in my life. Why? Because I never see you, right? So ask yourself, what am I really looking for? What am I really looking for? 
It's important for the hero achiever to know that only a few things in life have eternal value. So keep the main thing, the main thing. Ask yourself today, what's really important? And live a life that's driven by eternity, right? Because I'm telling you right now, a lot of these things around us will all fade, will all fade. Know that facing yourself, facing your work and facing others is a key to true effectiveness in life. Facing yourself and facing your work and facing others is key to true effectiveness in life. You see, if you're a hero achiever, come to a place where you face yourself, where you actually say, you know what? I actually haven't been good relationally. You know what, guys? I'm not in touch with my emotions. I don't know how I really feel. You know what, guys? I actually need help. You know what, guys? I struggle to face my weaknesses. You know what, guys? I struggle to actually connect with people, right? Face yourself with regards to that. Know that contented achievers do great things stemming from a sense of worthiness in God as opposed to trying to gain a sense of worth by what they do. I want to ask you a question. Do you feel like you are worth something just by yourself? A good test for hero achievers is to actually spend two days just not doing anything and ask yourself, how do I feel about myself? Do I still feel worthy when I'm not doing anything? Can I actually take a break? Or am I this workhorse who's doing things just so that I feel good about myself? Know that you can tap into God's strength to energize your work as opposed to relying on your own depleting resources, right? Your own depleting resources. Know that there are many things that are celebrated by the world today that look like they're worth pursuing, but heaven is not applauding. What are the things you're pursuing in your life, but from heaven's standpoint, there's no rejoicing. No one is clapping for you in heaven. It's a pseudo identity that you got from the world. The things that were praised as you were growing up. But now today you have to look at yourself and say, is that really worth pursuing? Is that really pers worth pursuing? What's that thing in your life? I'll end with this scripture. In Luke chapter 6, verse 25 to 26, it says, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. I want to say to you that how you are living right now the success you're experiencing, right? If you're a hero achiever, there will come a day of reckoning where you might look and you might say, well, what happened? Because you see, there's judgment that will come. The Bible actually says that it is destined for each man, every man to die once, then comes the judgment. And that's a day of reckoning, right? You might not be experiencing right now, but you know what? That bank balance that you have overnight, that money can disappear. Remember what happened in 2008. That can happen again. If your identity is in that, you could very well end up being some of those people who are investors who ended up committing suicide. Why? Their identity was in their bank balance. Their identity was in their stock. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you. When all men speak well of you, for so their forefathers treated the false prophets in the same way. I want to say right now, it ain't over till it's over. 
Some of you might be struggling in life right now. It ain't over till it's over. You might be looking at certain people with these pseudo identities. It ain't over till it's over. You might be looking at the people who are being praised and so popular and are measuring their lives based on how many likes they have or how many YouTube downloads they have. It ain't over till it's over because their forefathers praised the false prophets. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you want to deliver us from this hero syndrome. You want to deliver us from this hero achiever pseudo identity. And today we say, God, we repent. We repent for where we've looked for our identity in other things other than you, Lord Jesus. We acknowledge today that our identity as believers is in Christ Jesus and that Jesus is enough for us. Jesus is enough for us. We pray this and we confess it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to encourage you to go from listening to this message to prayer. Pray through these points. We've got powerful um, prayer strategies that are available. Download them and pray through this message and ask that God would reveal to you your true identity in Christ and make a decision from this day onwards that you will not continue on this path of the hero achiever, but you will achieve greatness. You will become a true hero who's humble, who's meek, who loves Jesus and who operates from the power of God, the strength of God that is operating within you. Amen and amen.